So whatever you wish that others would do to you, also do to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothes, in sheep's clothing, but in inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who, who does the will of my Father who in heaven, one, one, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does and does them will be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded by on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them like and will does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for the te- for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. We hate being fooled. We hate it when we're duped by an obvious fake. I mean, because no one buys something that's obviously fake. Nobody travels in what's clearly the wrong direction, and no one believes a blatant lie. See, the problem with all those things is that they don't look untrue. They look like they're the truth. They look like it's the right way. It looks like it's the real thing. It looks like it's the truth. And Jesus knows, and That's why here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us like a series of warning signs. He says, buyer beware. Look before you leap. He gives us a series of warning signs here at the end of his Sermon on the Mount to say, watch out because things are not always what they claim to be. There are false paths. There are false prophets. And there are false proofs. He says there are false paths, false prophets, and false proofs that you need to be aware of lest you get taken in and duped 
because it looks so good. Jesus concludes that such untruths, following such untruths, untrue paths, untrue prophets, untrue proofs, those are an unsound foundation on which to build a life. And if you build on that which is false, it's eventually going to collapse on you. So friends, are you in danger, are we in danger of being duped by false advertising? Jesus begins by warning us against false paths here in verses 13 through 14. Uh, you know, he talks about two paths, two paths that are before us. It reminds me of Robert Frost's most famous note, uh, poem. Robert Frost's most p- famous poem ends, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that's made all the difference. And Jesus says something very similar. He says there's two paths before you. One is wide and well-traveled. The way is easy and it's celebrated. The other is narrow and it's largely untrod. That way is difficult and shunned and you need to choose. And just like Robert Frost, he says, the path that you take will make all the difference to you. Now, friends, we need to understand that the the wide path appears right. It, It appears attractive. There is a way that seems so right and so obvious. To people. But Jesus is warning us, just as the scriptures have warned us repeatedly, just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. In fact, the book of Proverbs, which is a collection of wisdom, of wisdom sayings, twice it actually has word for word the exact same proverb. In Proverbs 14:12 and 16:25, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's a way that seems right. It's wide. It's attractive. A lot of people are walking on it. But that doesn't mean it's the right way. Don't be fooled by false advertising. Friends, what does this wide way look like? I liked how theologian John Stott wrote about it. He said, there's plenty of room on this way for diversity of opinion and laxity of morals. It's the road of tolerance and permissiveness. It has no curbs, no boundaries or of either thought or conduct. Travelers on this road, they just follow their own inclinations and the desires, their own inclinations, that is, the desires of the human heart in all of its fallenness. I mean, no wonder that road sounds appealing because it sounds so right. As the song goes, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. It's affirming exactly who I am and exactly how I want to be and exactly how I want to walk. This road is wide, it's easy, it's appealing, because it's all about me. So no wonder it seems so good. And many, Jesus says, enter through and walk that road. Now church, understand, and maybe you've already experienced, if you choose not to join the parade that's going on this wide road, you're going to face persecution. The Apostle wrote to the persecuted church in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4. He said, with respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Well, why don't you join us on the road? Why aren't you walking the way that we're going? Everybody's going that way. I mean, why are you so exclusive? Why are you so narrow? Why are you so intolerant? I mean, if you don't come with us on this road, then clearly you're bigoted, you're phobic, you're hateful. Church, the way is wide and easy. It's advertised loudly to us as the good way, as the right way, as the right side of history. 
And as such, we might be tempted to join in the parade that marches so pridefully down the wide way just so people will speak well of us. Or maybe at least people will stop speaking evil of us. But church, that's the way of destruction. Jesus says, take the narrow road. You can take the way of destruction and people will speak well of you. But Jesus warned in Luke 6.26, Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So make no mistake, you will be praised and you will be celebrated if you join the parade on the wide and the easy way. But church, where's that parade leading? Where's the end of that way? Jesus says the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. There's two paths and they stand before you. One way is forcefully advertised to us by this world as the only way. But Jesus stands before us, warning us against the false advertising of the world. And he says, choose the narrow gate. Take the narrow road. And what does he mean by that? What is the narrow gate? What is the narrow road? Well, Jesus taught us in John chapter 10, verse 9. He said, I am the door or the gate. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Later on in John's gospel, he said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one gets to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I'm the narrow gate. I am the way. He says that the the way to life is narrow and is exclusively through me. And in fact, Jesus says those who find the way are few. Now, church, Jesus may have said it, but we struggle to believe it. A poll from 2021 by the Pew Research Center found that 58% of all Christians surveyed said many religions can lead you to eternal life in heaven. But church, if that's true, then Jesus here is a liar. It says right here, the door is narrow. The way is exclusive. Jesus didn't claim to be one way to God amongst many competing ways to God. Jesus said there's only two parades that are marching. One is a wide way and one is a narrow way. I am the way. I'm the narrow gate. The other wide way, which encompasses all the other ways, is far more popular But it's the way of destruction. And by Jesus declaring himself to be the gate, the way, the truth, Jesus is declaring it's narrow, it's exclusive, and it's the only way to life. And friends, maybe you're here in person or maybe you're watching us online today. And God brought you here to bring you to this moment of truth. Because you have to decide, just like Robert Frost, who stood there at the two paths he had to choose. And every one of us, friends, must choose. You know, when when our friend Peter Ganella saw that I was coming to this passage, he texted me just to make sure that I would consider his favorite theologian, Bob Dylan. Because in Bob Dylan's song, Are You Ready? Bob Dylan asked, have you got some unfinished business? Is there something holding you back? Are you thinking for yourself or are you following the pack? Are you ready? Friends, are you just following the pack on the wide road? Have you considered the choice that's before you? What's holding you back from deciding? Are you ready? Which path 
are you choosing? Jesus warns against false paths, but He also warns us in 15-20 through 20 against false prophets. Jesus says that there are wolves. And friends, what makes wolves dangerous is not that they're wolves. Because if you know there's a wolf, you can defend yourself against a wolf. If you know that there's a wolf, you're going to run and hide or you're going to take up a weapon and defend yourself. But Jesus says these wolves are dangerous because of false advertising. They don't come looking like wolves. They come looking like sheep. So our guard is down. Our defenses are down. And we are likely to be taken by the wolves. Jesus says, watch out for false advertising. Because even if the wolves come in and they use the same words that sheep do, these false prophets alter the message. And even if they use the same words, they mean something very different by those words. Wolves are master manipulators and they're gaslighters. And then if you question a wolf's life or teaching, then the wolf will probably try to convince you and convince others that they and their teachings are not the problem. You're the problem. You foolish and suspicious sheep. Don't be so judgmental. Don't be so self-righteous. You're just phobic. You're afraid of change. You're afraid of that which is different. You're just stuck in old biases or outdated understandings, archaic interpretations, unlike me. And wolves come in and they sound so good because they present themselves as sheep. But friends, that's dangerous because then we might be tempted to believe them and to follow them. And if you question why the wolf sounds so different from other sheep and from all of the shepherds that have come before, then they'll let you know you're the problem, not them. And Jesus warns us against these wolves because, friends, false prophets desire not to lead people to Christ. They desire to lead people after themselves. False prophets desire not to lead people to Christ, which is what a true prophet does. They desire to lead people after themselves. The Apostle Paul, before he left Ephesus, In Acts chapter 20, he warned the elders of that church and he said in Acts 20 verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Why? To draw away the disciples after them. A false prophet doesn't care about Christ. They care about themselves. They're looking to feed on the sheep. The Apostle Peter confirmed this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He said, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Did you hear that? Even denying the Master who brought them. False prophets come in not just teaching heresy, not just denying the truth. They actually deny the Master. A true prophet leads to the Master, leads to Christ. A false prophet is leading others to themselves. And church, Jesus is teaching about these false prophets immediately following His teaching on the wide way and the narrow way because so often wolves come in and they go, Hey, listen i got a secret knowledge for you. The good news. Here's the good news. The narrow way doesn't have to be so narrow. You don't have to change or sacrifice or obey in order to walk the narrow way after Christ. Or, or, or that maybe they're here to demonstrate how the wide path is not really so destructive. 
I mean, God is love after all, and a loving God wouldn't allow all those people to, to parade their way to destruction, now would He? Friends, wolves come in and they confuse what Christ has made clear. They muddy the waters. They insist, well, it's actually more complex. They say it's more complex. What Jesus has actually declared is simple. Friends, the gospel isn't theologically complex. There's two ways. There's a narrow way. There's a wide way. One leads to life. One leads to destruction. And you have to choose. And if anyone comes telling you anything other than that, they're not trying to bring you to Christ. They're trying to get you to follow them. They want you for themselves. Buy my book. Subscribe to my program. Join me on Patreon. Follow me on Instagram. They want you. They don't want Christ. And Jesus teaches and gives us then twice a test. Then how do I detect false teachers? How do I detect these false prophets? And in verse 16 and verse 20, Jesus says, Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus teaches eventually false prophets will be exposed. How? By their fruits. Because no matter what a tree claims to be, when it starts producing fruit, you know what type of tree it is. Is this an orange tree? Oh, it's got apples. It must be an apple tree. Once the fruit comes, you know what type of tree it is. And Jesus says the same thing about these false teachers. He says, once the fruit appears, you'll know what kind of tree it is. So what kind of fruit is Jesus talking about? Context is king. All of these teachings, friends, all these teachings are leading to his final conclusion that Hannah just read for us. His final conclusion it starts in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. So the conclusion that he's driving to is obedience. He says the obedience to my words are the fruit of true prophets. It's the fruit of true disciples. It's the fruit of true followers. The fruit of those who follow me and who love me is obedience. Now, church, hear me correctly, and friends, hear me correctly. I'm not saying that you are saved by your obedience. You are saved purely by grace through faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ in His death and His resurrection. As we sang today, not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. As we sang this morning, hallelujah, praise to the one whose blood has pardoned me. What a Savior, Redeemer, and King. His love has rescued me. It's not what we have done or can do that saves us. It is Christ alone who saves us. But remembering that Christ is the root of our salvation, obedience, friends, is the fruit of that salvation. Christ is the root of our salvation, but the outworking, the result of that salvation, the, the root is Christ, the fruit is obedience. And Jesus says, if you don't see the fruit, start to doubt this prophet. If, it's not that they should be perfect, because friends, none of us are perfect. If perfection was the standard, none of us can stand. Jesus is saying, is there continual repentance? Is there increasing obedience in their life? Friends, this is further evidenced by Jesus' words in verse 19. Verse 19, Jesus says, Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And for the more astute amongst us, you remember a few chapters ago, at the very beginning of Matthew's Gospel, John the Baptist showed up on the scene. And he preached 
an identical message in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Friends, almost word for word. So what fruit was John talking about? We'll hear that in John in Matthew 3 and 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Friends, the fruit that we should expect from those who have truly trusted Christ, who are truly rooted in Him, the fruit of the true disciple is obedience, the true follower. It's not perfection, but it's increasing repentance and obedience. And so Jesus is warning here. He says, if somebody shows up amongst you claiming to be a prophet, claiming to speak for Jesus, but they're living in persistent and unrepentant disobedience, and they're teaching other people to do the same, it doesn't matter how good their teaching sounds. Don't believe the advertising. It's false advertising. That's a wolf. In church, there are many popular Christian teachers today who you might be tempted to believe who are telling you the narrow way needs not be so narrow or the wide road's not so destructive, that you don't really need to repent or change to follow Christ because God just loves and affirms you exactly the way you are. And He does love us the way we are, friends. But He loves us enough not to leave us there. You will know the false, Jesus says, by the fruit. And that fruit is obedience. So Jesus warns against false paths. He says, you're also going to encounter false prophets. And finally, in verses 21 through 23, false proofs. And Jesus gives a really impressive list in here. I mean, the things that, that these people were accomplishing in his name, Jesus is, it's an impressive list of things. And Jesus warns, he says, listen, don't judge by the gifts, judge still by the fruit. Don't judge by the gifts. Judged by the fruit. Beware of being successful in ministry. Because, friends, you can be successful. You can say all the right words beautifully. You can do all the right things skillfully. You can achieve all the right ends impressively, all while remaining far away from Jesus. Jesus even showed up and he, he spoke to the religious professionals of his day. And he quoted from Isaiah chapter 29. And he said to them, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their lips give me honor, but their hearts, their hearts don't actually know me. Jesus says, judge not by skillful lips, judge by obedient hearts, judge not by giftedness, judge by fruitfulness. Because you need to understand, church, that God can and will accomplish His purposes and receive glory even through impure vessels. Pastor and author Paul Tripp wrote this warning in a, in a book that he wrote for pastors. He said, Ministry success always says more about the Lord we serve than it does about us. Ministry success is not a valid measuring instrument for our maturity. In fact, a God of grace will bless our ministries in spite of us because of His zeal for His church and His commitment to His own glory. Friends, God is zealous for His name. He wants His gospel to go forth. So He will bless ministries in spite of us if it will bring Him glory. So Jesus says, judge not by the gifts or the ministry successes, judge by the fruit. You know, the Apostle Paul said something very similar to the church in Philippi. He was 
unjustly imprisoned, and while unjustly imprisoned, other people were taking advantage of his spotlight. Paul was yanked out of the spotlight, so other people were jumping into the spotlight, stealing that ministry spotlight, and it was reported to Paul, and Paul wrote in Philippians 1, verses 17 and 18, the former, they're proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul says, I know their hearts are not for Christ's glory. Their hearts are clearly for self-glory. But you know what's still happening? Christ is being proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. God is taking the impure vessels and He's using them to accomplish His purposes. So church, don't judge someone's relationship to Christ based upon the gifts practiced. Judge the relationship based upon the fruit produced. And how I wish I had learned this lesson years ago. Because I know I have allowed too many into ministry or continue in ministry because they were gifted. What if this incredibly gifted person steps down or leaves? And it's a temptation to take too seriously gifts and not take seriously enough questions of fruit or the lack thereof. And Jesus warns the proof. The proof you should be looking to is not the giftedness but the fruitfulness. Because again, as our theologian friend Bob Dylan sang, are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you where you ought to be? Will He know you when He sees you? Or will He say, depart from me? Are you ready? Church, will He know you when He sees you? Obedience. Obedience is the punchline of this sermon. Jesus has driven, and we've studied all the way through the Sermon on the Mount now with this week. And the conclusion is right here. Obedience. This is the destination to which Jesus is steering the ship. He's guiding His hearers, you and I, to this conclusion. Do not just hear what I say. Obey. Respond. Jesus has warned there are false paths, there are false prophets, there are false proofs that would distract you, and they're all distracting you from what? obedience to me. And that's the point of these final teaching in 24 through 27. He tells the parable, two men building houses. One builds upon a rock, the other upon sand. The house on the rock lasts, the house on the sand falls flat. Now, Jesus' original hearers, this would have made sense to them because they lived in a land of dry wadis where rainfall was uncommon and many people would have built without thinking too much about the wet season and flooding. However, then a rain would come, a flash flood, and it would wash away their homes. Because the foundation is important. And friends, the difference in the builders, as you noted, verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. And does them. Verses 726 where he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. Friends, the difference is not lack of information. The difference is lack of application. The difference is not observation. The difference is obedience. Jesus says obedience is the fruit, the response of the one who truly knows and follows me. So let your life demonstrate that you are not just informed, but you're being transformed. 
You're not just informed, but being transformed. Because the coming of the storm in this final parable, when Jesus' hearers heard this, they would have understood he's talking about the final judgment. One day there's going to be a final storm, friends. There's going to be a final judgment. And we're going to see what stands and what is destroyed. And Jesus says, don't be fooled by false advertising. The mark of the one who has followed me, the mark of the one who loves me, is not grand professions of faith or even success in ministry, but increasing fruit of repentance and obedience. Again, the obedience is not the root or the cause of our salvation, but the fruit, the result of our salvation. And church, is there fruit in your life? Not perfection. None of us is perfect. But is your life characterized by increasing repentance and obedience? Jesus says that's the fruit. That's the fruit you should expect to see in my followers. Not just hearers, but doers. Doers of my word. Church, where is the fruit? You know, when it comes to the fruit, fruit only comes from connection to the tree. Fruit only comes from the connection to the tree. We sang this morning, um, the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. The fruit can only come from a connection to the root. Are you growing in your connection to the tree, followers of Christ? Because if you are, fruit follows. Fruit follows from being connected to the tree. Is there fruit in your life? And the passage concludes with the response of the crowd. They've just heard Jesus give this incredible sermon. And in verses 28 through 29, they're in awe of the authority with which he teaches. And friends, do you hear what they're really asking? They're not just saying, what do we do with such a teaching? They're saying, what do we do with such a teacher? That they're left asking, what do we do with this man? And friends, you and I are asked, you, you and I are left asked that same question today. Because this man claims that obedience to his word is the standard which should determine the path of our lives. He claims that obedience to his word is the standard by which we should discern true and false prophets. This man claims that obedience to his commands are the very standard on which we will all be judged. Who is fit to make such a claim? I've shared this quote before, but famously C.S. Lewis challenged in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, a man who was merely a great man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. And he didn't intend to. Friends, the original hearers of Jesus' sermon were left with a choice. Not just how am I going to respond to this teaching. How am I going to respond to this teacher? 
What am I to think of this man who stands before me? Because, friends, there's only two paths, only two choices. One is to trust him, and one is to reject him. One is a narrow way, and one is a wide way. And we all must make a choice. There's a lot of false advertising out there. There's wide and good-looking paths. There's great-sounding prophets. There's powerfully achieving uh, successes. But, friends, which path will you take? Which prophet will you believe? Which proofs will you consider? Who is this man, Jesus Christ? Because you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and obey him and follow him as the Lord of all the universe. So friends, what will it be? Let's pray. Father, This is a moment of truth. We stand face to face. We stand at the crossroads. Help us. Help those who have never trusted you to take those first steps of faith. Help those of us who have trod this path for a long time to be strengthened and encouraged to grow in our connection that there might be more fruit of obedience and love as we follow you. Father, give us strength to follow your commands and most importantly, to follow you wherever you lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In closing, please stand and sing with us. In Christ alone.